Welcome to the Review Be Named podcast. I am, as always, Jordan. Uh, this week on the show, we're going to be doing the news roundup as usual. We're going to be talking about uh, Christmas entertainment and a new feature we're going to launch for the month of December on the site. Uh, we're going to be playing a little Who Would Win in a Fight, and we're going to be going back to the Review Be Named movie club and talking about the conversation. With me on the show this week, we have Rachel. Hello. Chris. Hey. And Sam. Hello. So stick with us throughout the hour, and we're going to have some fun. Um, why don't we start things off with the news roundup, and with a story that I think we've all seen coming for a while that we can now actually talk about. Uh, Chevy Chase has left Community. Uh, there's apparently roughly one episode left to shoot in the show's abbreviated fourth season, which will probably be its last, which means really there will only be one Chevy Chase-less episode of Community in all likelihood, but uh, he's gone now. So what do you guys think well, about Wait a minute. That? What's most significant... They only have one left, but did they shoot him in order? So, like, would would he be missing, like, the series finale? Yeah, he would be missing the series finale, to my knowledge. Was he... Do we know if he was written off, or if... We know that, this that, is just that he left in an agreement with the writers before shooting the last episode. So I don't know if he was written out of the last episode, but I assume he'll be rewritten out of the last episode at this point. Okay. Well, so they're I good just, riddance. Yeah, and I just hope that it's, like, a lot of them, like, just glorying and hopefully his character's demise, like, his just death, death of death. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, would you care to uh, elaborate on that? Rachel really wants Community to be a bloodbath, apparently. <laughs> his I just character... picture, like, Abed and Troy covered in Pierce's blood <laughs> screaming at each other. Yeah, Pierce just really bothers me, as does Chevy Chase, and... I just no. I just so I'm I'm hopeful that the 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 show, which I think already acknowledges how annoying he is on so many so many levels, will really hit that out of the park. Uh, all right, Chris, what do you think about this? Uh, you know, we've all seen it coming for a while. Um, I think the bigger problem is how you're going to wrap everything up where everything was so much about this group. So is Pierce going to die? Is he just going to disappear? Like, I mean, this is the last season of community. We're all sure of that. So I don't know how you're going to get that final, like moment of closure without with Pierce just kind of disappear. I think it's going to be weird. Like, I think it's going to be a weird last episode to watch with Pierce just gone. Like I, he's not my favorite part of the ensemble. Chevy Chase is not my favorite actor. I think he might be the weakest part of the group. But he's still an integral part of it, and it's going to be very, very strange seeing the show wrap up without him there to find an end to his story and the larger story of all seven of them. Yeah, I think I think that's true. Uh, Sam, what do you think? Um, well, I know uh, Chevy Chase has continually talked about how how much he doesn't really like the show. So, but I'm still kind of surprised that he didn't finish out his contract uh with community um like chris i'm concerned about if if we're gonna get that satisfying ending because i have to imagine that the writing staff for the show thinks this will probably be the last season um again i mean how this this last season will be at all forget just the last episode but how the season will be at all because since it's without dan Harmon, so who knows how good it's going to be either way with Chevy or not. Um, I don't, I don't hate the Pierce character. I think they kind of had some problems with it in the second, I think it was the second season, right? Where he just became an outright villain at the end. Is yeah. that the right? They, uh, did, the, yeah. they did the Tom, arc where yeah, he became addicted too. to pain pills and he did the whole, the documentary episode where he was playing mind games with everybody. And, I actually, I liked that a lot more than I think everyone else did. And then there was the Dungeons and Dragons episode where he was the, Super villain, right? That was right. Yeah, that was, well. That was in the middle of that. That was before the uh, okay. the hospital episode. Okay, it all kind of blends together. Um, but they they also did do, I think, enough good work to show him as a balanced, redeemable character. And the one that comes to mind immediately is Abed's uncontrollable Christmas. Is mm-hmm. that the right title of the episode? Yeah. I mean, that really showed Pierce in a more positive light after a whole season of re- pretty much painting him as the villain. Well, so they've I think... they've definitely given him redeeming qualities which is why it's kind of sad to see pierce go and i'm curious the first thing i thought of was when uh south park wrote off chef from the show Mm -hmm. and they just killed him in the most violent way possible 
apparently what Rachel thought of too. Ugh. A girl yes, can yes, dream. Yes. <laughs> I don't think they'll do that. Uh, I think they'll give him a little bit more dignity. Though him dying would not be out of the realm of possibility. He seems to be. Didn't hasn't he had a heart attack or something? Well, uh, he's faked a heart attack. He's faked a heart attack, right? Times. But he was in the hospital with his, uh, you know, ODing on pain pills. So, like, right. He's old, um, and it wouldn't surprise me if they just killed off the character. Um, yeah, it could be. It actually could work as an impetus to send these characters off on their next journey together. I mean, I guess you could like build a finale around the death of Pierce. Maybe yeah, it, it unites it. everyone. Yeah. It's like the more when I think about Clark. It, the more I, I see this as something that could work, and probably something the writers are considering. Yeah, I mean, I imagine. If things have been as bad as we've been hearing, you know, leak out of the show with Chevy just being himself and being an asshole on the set and causing all these problems, and apparently them agreeing that it was fine for him to leave, I imagine this has been in their mind for a while. They probably have, they've probably been aware that him walking off the set and never coming back was a possibility, so they probably thought about this. And hopefully they will do something interesting with it that'll work with whatever the new show looks like, which we don't even know what that's going to be yet. Um, But either way... I mostly am in the good riddance camp. I like Pierce as the character a lot, but Chevy Chase is kind of an unrepentant asshole, um, and at least we won't have to read any more shocking things Chevy Chase said on the set of Community Stories, because he won't be there anymore. And Community probably won't be there anymore either. But Yeah, I mean, if, the, if they're shooting the one episode, presumably this will be the last episode of the show. Although, who knows at this point, right? Like, maybe it comes back on Thursdays at 8, and it's a different, broader show that people shockingly watch, and then it's on for 10 more seasons. Well, we have, yeah, we have yet to see what kind of show this is going to be, even if it's even going to be a good show. I mean, I think it'll still be probably at least a good show. That's, I... that's But, um... Who knows what it's going to look like. So maybe Chevy Chase leaving is not going to be the biggest issue with the show. I, I mean, with the, the with the ensemble that they have, I imagine that at worst it will be a good show. It's probably not going to be the community we've always loved. But who knows? Maybe uh, maybe the new showrunners nail it, and it is as good as it ever was. And you the know show what? still has some of the old writers, right? I mean, Yeah, so yeah, some of the writing staff has stuck around. So I'm not... I'm not you know, despondent about it. I'll definitely be watching the entire fourth season. And um, if it was good and the show managed to get renewed, I would watch the fifth season too. You know, I loved Dan Harmon and I'm, I'm sad to see him go, but I, I am not giving up on the show just because of that. Yeah. Hopefully it'll be a strong last season and, and Pierce's exit, whatever it may be, will be, you know, well integrated into the show. Hopefully. Yeah, I hope so. Um, well, I think we can wrap that up and move on to a, a bit of a holiday-related music story, which I think no one's going to care about but me. Um, <laughs> Sufjan Stevens is releasing a compilation of his last five Christmas EPs. The man has made ten Christmas albums at this point, um, and this is a collection of the last five, I guess, that he does roughly annually um, that's coming out. So as someone who is always trying to cobble together alternative Christmas mixes for my Christmas music-obsessed mother... Uh, the Man is a Godsend. I think I've had like seven or eight of his songs on previous uh, <clears throat> holiday mixes that I've given my mom. So I hope the new one's really good. I'm sure it will be. Um, Rachel, what do you think about this? Well, really, you know, I guess it's whatever. Me personally, I just like <laughs> to... Interesting. I, <laughs> <laughs> well, I just like to uh, sit in a corner and cry while listening to Judy Garland's Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas when it comes to Aww. Christmas time. Do you have so, a drink in your hand and pills always. in the other? <laughs> um, She's wearing a bathrobe. and <laughs> That's what Judy would have wanted. It's exactly, right? It's exactly, I'm channeling her spirit. Um, Crushed up quaaludes is like the salt <laughs> rim. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, no, you know what? You know, I just, how, I mean, his albums aren't that Christmas, like even his Christmas albums aren't all that Christmassy to me. I don't, whatever. Like, yeah, that's, that's my great commentary on this is it's like, whatever. Interesting. That's also going to be written on your tombstone as your most memorable sentence ever. Is that Rachel Tardiff? It's like whatever. Is that better than death, death, death? Or I don't get. Nope, not really. You're kind of batting zero. (laughs) Can we can we get that turned into like a a soundbite for the memorial award? It's like whatever. (laughs) Every week, it's like this person wins. We all go yay, and then we play. It's like whatever. We'll talk. We'll talk to our tech editor Daniel about that. That's going to be on Rachel's tombstone. I already said that. 
Uh, we'll have to remember like, that. Whatever. Is 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 he still doing the states thing for each album? I was just going to ask that. In I'm theory, sure yes, but he's only done the two still, so I would say no, probably not. So he's not going to finish fifty. We. He's we not going to get to Delaware. We thought that was kind of a, a long shot, right? What states have has he done? Besides he did Michigan Illinois? and Illinois, or Illinois. Yeah, Michigan. Has he, has and he done a Dakota yet? He's either not. Dakota. He's only done Michigan and Illinois, so so he hasn't done South Dakota. No, no. <laughs> and neither of the Cal- Carolinas. Which Chris is now like thanking God because his South Dakota musical would tank after Sufjan released his album. Seriously, I cannot compete with that, and I've been working on this thing nonstop for the past six years. It's called South Dakota matter, exclamation Jordan. points. I think it's a good uh, segue to our newest segment this week in the Dakotas. <laughs> <laughs> Dakota pop culture. Sometimes Dakota, it's about North Dakota, Dakota, South Dakota. Dakota. I was just going to say that. Well done, Chris. <laughs> sometimes it's North, sometimes it's South, sometimes it's Fanning. Exactly. Here on the Review Name Podcast, we keep it fast and loose, so... You never know what you're going to get. So how how is... Wouldn't it be more news, Jordan, if Sufjan Stevens wasn't doing a Christmas album? Yes, but the compilation uh, is kind of a big deal. He's like He's done a bunch of videos behind it that have been fairly amusing i think um it's it's getting like a big push just because he hasn't done like the full compilation box set of all of them since 2006 when he did the first five volumes so yes it would be more news if he wasn't doing a christmas album at this point but i still think it's cool that he's doing christmas albums still um as someone who always you know my mom listens to christmas music 24 7 from the time that the radio stations turn over to like all christmas all the time until they stop and I always say, Mom, there are like 20 Christmas songs. Don't you get tired of listening to, you know, Jingle Bell Rock 15 times a day for a month? And so I'm all in favor of people creating new Christmas music that isn't just covers of the standards. Um, so I support this full-heartedly. But uh, I guess, yes, maybe this is less news than it would be if he was not making one. See, I could get into... I'm not... I'm Jewish, so I, I don't have the Christmas song knowledge that you might have. But I can I can get into the the Christmas television specials. I can get into the movies, but I can't. Like the music is too shitty. It's just too <laughs> shitty for me to get into. Do you know what I mean, though? No, I, I think I, I, I think do. there's a broader appeal to the the television specials and the movies. But the the songs and the albums are just about like snow falling and and I mistletoe. It's boring tingling. and mistletoe falling. Tingling, tingling. And date rape. There's actually a lot of date rape in Christmas. Yeah, oh there God. is a lot of date rape in Christmas music. <laughs> An excessive amount of it. I think any amount of date rape is excessive, but that's just me, Chris. Examples, <laughs> Fine, Jordan? Jordan? Twist my words. Uh, <laughs> baby, it's cold outside. Yeah, baby, it's cold outside is literally like, she. it's a call and response song between a man and a woman. And oh, she's like, yeah, Wait, yeah, I've heard What it. did you put in this drink? And he's like, ha, 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 ha I'm going to rape you. And what about oh, uh, Mommy Caught Mommy Kissing Santa Claus? Yeah, but Santa Claus is dad in that song. I don't think he's raping mom. I think oh, they're okay. just so having that's... sex. I thought it was just like the unkempt neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> it's mom's friend, Roy. It's the, oh. the guy Roy. from the mall. <laughs> <laughs> the mall Santa just can't wait to go home oh, and bone this kid's mom, so he swings by right after in his work clothes. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Could be date rapey, but I'm pretty sure they're in a couple, so it's more okay. Frosty the Snowman, so date rapey. Yeah. Who knows what he's doing? What do you with think he nose? does with those children? <laughs> well, this is taking an interesting turn, as as the podcast is wont to do. But uh, Chris, do you have any more Sufjan Stevens thoughts before we wrap that up and move on? So we didn't do North Dakota yet. No, not North, not South, not Fanning. Okay. Will you will you keep me updated on this? If Sufjan Stevens announces Dakota Fanning the album tomorrow. He will have heard it here first. Okay. Um, Good. So why don't we move on and talk about uh, the Simpsons writers have announced they are taking the Judd Apatow spec script that Apatow wrote, I think, two decades ago and turning it into an episode because they're still making those. And for the love of God, I'm sure they are out of ideas. Um, (laughs) Sam is the biggest Simpsons fan. Why don't you uh, tell us what you think about this? Well, for a long time, and I think it's, it's, I don't know how true it is today, but any comedy writer coming up in the 90s, almost all of them had, at some point, a Simpsons spec script. 
And Judd Apatow wrote one, I believe it was, you know, during the first season of the show. So this was only a few episodes in and he had a spec script. And at the time he was Judd Apatow, but he wasn't Judd Apatow, capital letters, big time producer guy he is now. So all these years later, I'm not sure how he got, or I'm sure he can easily get in touch with uh, Simpsons writers now. But he it was picks up his phone and screams Simpsons, yeah. and someone finds them. He, he's Judd Apatow, <laughs> but because he's Judd Apatow, I guess someone thought, "Hey, he had a spec script all these years ago," and I think, and we have to do another episode in like six days. Yeah, I think uh, the story is Homer goes to a carnival and he's hypnotized into thinking he's a ten-year-old, so he like hangs out with Bart and does kid stuff, and he doesn't want to grow up. And Judd mentioned that. Uh, this is basically every single script he's done since writing the spec script for The Simpsons, which is <laughs> that's very true. Classic man-child stuff, and it'll he be interesting like a to see. Sad, lonely man. Jason I think it had... Siegel will be playing uh, Homer, and Leslie Mann will be playing Marge, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Seth Rogen will be Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> Great casting, perfect um, but casting. I, I have no idea how good it is, especially since this is apparently one of the first scripts he wrote, and he wrote it. You know, like we said, two decades ago. So who knows how good it is. Granted how shaky The Simpsons is now, it has a chance to be a good one. Yeah, it'll probably be a modern classic if there are like three laughs in it. I hope so. Um, uh, but I think I think it's a cool thing that they're going back and looking at his past spec script and now he's become this great kind of prolific writer, producer, director. So I think it'll be an interesting uh, episode, to, at least. I hope this and to is the see, first... And it'll be interesting to see if how close to his writing style he was at when he was 20, or when he was in his 20s. Um, and to see, see if, it, if it makes for a good Simpsons episode. And maybe they should have hired him all those years ago. Who knows? I, I hope this is the first of them digging through the bottom of the barrel of every spec script they've ever received and just like putting those on TV for several seasons. Well, I know, I know Donald Glover has a, one of his first, he had a Simpsons spec script and I, I think that was that. how he got 30 rock. That's awesome. Um, yeah. they should make that just seriously. There are enough, there are enough people who've written spec scripts that are like awesome and funny and doing other things now. Just do a season of spec scripts. There are plenty of them out there. Well, I'm always a fan of stunt writers, as we've talked about with... I guess we haven't talked about it on the podcast, but Neil Gaiman doing Doctor Who, which is fun. I know uh, Ricky Gervais did an episode of The Simpsons, which actually wasn't a great episode, but it was cool to have a Ricky Gervais written episode. So I'm, I'm, usually, I'm a fan of the stunt writers, more so than the stunt casting, actually. Because yeah. I guess you see it less often. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, I mean, I probably won't watch the episode because I don't watch The Simpsons right now, but... Uh... If it's great, maybe I'll track it down. Um, Chris, what do you think about all this? The timing just seems a little weird to me. It's just, uh, I sounds exactly like the what you were saying a minute ago. It's just like we have no ideas. We gotta get the show out. Please, let's just start going through the back catalog of spec scripts so we can call this one early and go bowling or something. Um, well, it's I mean, not, it's but like, that's not how they go through scripts. I mean, it's not that they were going through old spec scripts and were like, let's make one of these. They had a Judd Apatow script. Well, what I mean by that, sitting the timing is weird. It's like, it's not like, we're, we're long past the day where there was a new Judd Apatow movie in theaters like every other month. Well, we're having I mean, one think, coming out next month. Yeah, <laughs> we are. It's, I don't know. It, the timing still seems weird to me. And we have Judd Apatow produced girls on HBO. Yeah, <laughs> we. I mean, every Judd Apatow right. is still there. I mean, he's still. I know he's still there. It's just it. It seems a little late to the party. <laughs> I don't it's... know if it. I mean, I don't know how late to the party it is. Judd. Judd has been cranking shit out like crazy. He did. Yeah, he, he produced. Is. You know, the five year engagement, Wanderlust, Bridesmaids. That's all him. I. He yeah. hasn't. He hasn't written a movie since Funny People, so that was three years ago, and This Is 40 is going to be the first one since that. And he wrote, let's see, he did the story for Pineapple Express, and then I like the idea that Pineapple Express really had a story. <laughs> he did, he, he wrote Walk Hard, he wrote Knocked Up. I mean, he usually takes time in between. I think it seems that there's 
more of an onslaught of Judd Apatow stuff because his crew of people have been in a lot of stuff and he's produced a lot more than he's written. I mean, if you look in 2012, he's produced, this is 40, which is coming out girls, the five year engagement and wanderlust in 2011. He produced bridesmaids and he produced some of these on sorry short, but he also produced get him to the Greek. And then before that he did funny people and Step Brothers and Pineapple Sam was Express. actually paid off by Judd Apatow before the <laughs> podcast started. She's just like, can you like just pitch my uh, body of work for a while on the no, podcast? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not pitching, no, I'm not, but I'm, I'm just saying. He's not like a very busy, prolific producer. It just, I don't know. He, um, does, he does two movies a year yeah, and a TV show that he produces. Well, yeah, but I, I mean, I understand where Chris is coming from just in terms of like, the spec script has existed for a while, right? So why this season as opposed to any other oh, season? Oh, why now? I have yeah, like why now as opposed to when? Like, well, who knows? Of it, but who knows? Getting, maybe like, people Marshall didn't know that it was there. I mean, we don't. I don't think we know the specifics about how this came about, this deal. Who knows? Judd maybe was talking to a producer on The Simpsons. He's like, oh, yeah, I wrote a spec script 20 years ago. And, he's, and the other guy's like, oh, okay, we'll check it out. It could have been that. And then they made out for 20 minutes. I just, yes, it, Jordan. I, I'm just writing a fiction now. <laughs> I think this speaks to a much deeper part of Jordan than anything else. <laughs> Jordan, we've asked you to keep your fan fiction off the podcast before. Yeah. It's or Jordan into every area of my life. Jordan has uh, all of it is about Jed Apto making out with other writers. <laughs> it's weird. Jordan Jordan has Judd Apatow, Al Jean slash fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> I have cutouts of the two of them, like you know, big cardboard cutouts, and I make them touch each other. Oh God, Jordan! <laughs> this is just going to get weirder and weirder. Rachel, yeah. what do you think about The Simpsons? <laughs> I have literally zero thoughts on this topic. Yay! All right. We're going to go ahead and... Uh, face to Rachel. Poor Rachel. Yeah, okay, whatever. Rachel, uh, I'm disappointed. The news edition. <laughs> I mean, it's like, whatever. I'm not that huge of a Simpsons fan. Sorry, Sam. And it's okay. <laughs> I like Judd Apatow, but like, I was never all that like over the moon about him. It, he's been kind of hit or miss for me. So, I don't know. I don't watch The Simpsons, so I probably won't see the episode. So, Sam, I assume at some point in the future you'll tell us whether or not it was good. And I'll take I'm sure. There. I'm sure it'll be – it won't be at least until next season. So I'm sure we've we're got actually all going to watch it for this podcast at some point. <laughs> it just sounds like something we do. Because we're masochists and sometimes <laughs> it's like, what are we going to talk about this week? Ah, oh, fuck, I don't know. Let's just talk about The Simpsons. Um, with that, why don't we wrap up the news roundup and toss things over to you, Rachel, and we're going to talk about a new feature that we're uh, debuting next month on the website. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. Well, dear Review to be Named podcast listeners, obviously Thanksgiving has passed, which means that, um... Wait, what? <laughs> uh, my family! Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chris. In my head, Chris, Chris's revelation is that he ate his family for Thanksgiving. <laughs> That's why it was so tasty and savory. Oh, it's people, Chris. It's people. Oh dear. <laughs> oh, dear. Your family is people, Chris. How how <laughs> could something is made of people? How could something so beautiful become something so so awful? I like so, I like to so imagine <laughs> I like to imagine there's a, a cannibal scene in a movie <laughs> and then some guy comes in and he's going, It's people. You're eating people. And everyone's like, Oh gross. And they throw down like a human leg. <laughs> wow, this one went this? off the rails pretty quickly, you guys. So, what happens if you don't keep us on a tight leash? <laughs> okay, you guys. Okay. Tell so, me more. So, it's not. It's after Thanksgiving now. Is it's. It? it is in fact <laughs> after Thanksgiving. Everybody's done their Black Friday shopping or not? And Black Friday shopping. Can't wait for Cyber Monday, which sounds exactly. disgusting. I'm getting a Blu-ray <laughs> player. It's very exciting, but. Now Wait, is it is Tuesday sexing Tuesday? Oh God, we're never gonna get through this podcast. <laughs> oh, no, every not. day is sexing Tuesday. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, Rachel, go ahead. Okay, so <laughs> shit. So now we're going to do a review to be named Twenty Five Days of Christmas" because obviously our commentary and our decision making is way better than ABC Families. Um. 
So we are going to, over the course of the month of December, um, every day be posting up a little something something about what we here at Review to Be Named um, like to watch during the holiday season. And that's going to range from, you know, your pretty standard um, Christmas TV specials. It's a wonderful life, that sort of thing. That sort of thing to our very favorite epi- like Christmas episodes of our favorite television shows. And just about everything in between, but not and maybe really, not just Christmas between. stuff. There's some Jewish stuff. Not just Christmas stuff. Thank yeah. you. We got some Jews around this Thank year podcast. Samuel, that this is a this is more a 25 days of December holiday season. Thank you. As Thank we've been, Sam, Sam and I have done this for have planned this for a long time. Eventually, we will erase Christmas entirely, and it will be Winter Day. Yeah, it'll be secular. It'll be like uh, Thanksgiving. Because Sam Question. is Jewish, and I am not Christian. Um, being that I have no belief system. Um, but I still like Christmas and Santa and all that, so why don't we call it Winter Day? Or like winter. perhaps get presents. Festivus. Does anybody like Seinfeld? Yes, but go. Festivus is its own holiday, Rachel. Well, I don't actually like Seinfeld, so I was just swinging that one. But, uh... <laughs> Swing and a miss. Uh, question. Yes, Chris. Can the Krampus be represented in all of this? I don't, I don't know what that is. You don't know about the Krampus? Isn't it Krampus? Krampus? Krampus, Krampus. Krampus, yeah. The Krampus. It's, he you know, he you eats know. children, right? To eat your own. Yeah, he beats them with sticks. Oh, Does he right. beat them and before shaves. eating them, like to tenderize them? I don't, I don't actually know if he eats them. I just, I know that he beats them. I think it's him. The eating is just implied. He probably eats them, yeah. <laughs> Look at that thing. Chris has really got a eating of children on the mind of this podcast. And well, I ate my family. I like that you're indignant toward me while you say that. (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) I don't even know where to take that one, you guys. Well, I just like um, that you first of all called it a little something something, which implies that it's going to be like salacious in some way. It will not be. It's just going to be us talking about Christmas things. No, yeah, and it's going to be, you know what, you guys, it's going to be really beautiful, dear readers slash listeners, because I think that um, just in the conversations that I've had with it today, uh, with Jordan about it today, you know, it's really brought up these ideas of, like, the nostalgic elements of us for the holiday season. So you're bound to get a nice, big, terrifying picture of... of Rachel crying and listening to Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas and, and drinking. Yes, and, and I'd like to think that... Um, by Christmas, Chris will really come to terms with the fact that he's eaten his whole family for Thanksgiving. And then he'll make them into a tree? Like, Guys, a I've completely moved. I've completely moved beyond the family eating thing. <laughs> so December 6th is the Krampus knocked, and I think we should mark this in some sort of way. Yeah, we're not going to do that. You're terrified. Yeah, I, I want to clarify uh, what Rachel just said. Also, if you have been uh, reading the podcast and listening to the website, you're doing it wrong, and you should really switch the order there. Shut up, Jordan. What? I'm just giving Rachel problems because I have fun. You're the worst. So I want to start, I want to, I want to, we want to talk about some of the the things that are going to be featured here on the, on the, in the feature. What the hell? (laughs) Rachel's learning how to speak for the first time right now. It's like, whatever. Um, And my interesting question, (laughs) I'm going to start with the Nightmare Before Christmas because I always have this conversation with people. Is the Nightmare Before Christmas a Christmas movie? Or a Halloween movie. It is very distinctly a Christmas movie. It is Everyone a Christmas should shut movie. up. Or an always well, it can't be both. It's a Christmas movie. Why? Why? Because be they live in Halloween Town, but the whole story is centered around discovering Christmas. Yeah, it's fundamentally a story about the meaning of Christmas. It just happens to have scary characters because you know, and learning so about the joys of Christmas. I don't disagree with you. I just thought we'd spark a little bit of a conversation. But okay, you guys shut it down real quick. Uh, we didn't, we didn't shut it down. We just were right. <laughs> we were just doing our best to torpedo this segment, Rachel. <laughs> You're all the worst. Well, what do you think, Rachel? Do you think it's more of a Halloween movie? You know what? I think that it could really, it could fall into both. I think it's got the elements. I just love it all over. So um, I would watch it straight from Halloween to Christmas um, if I had my way. And an exorbitant amount of free time. Um, but I think it gets to fit everywhere. And I think that, you know, especially now, like more and more so as it, the holiday season comes, becomes this kind of like giant, ever expanding, longer reaching season that now stretches from like Halloween until Christmas. I do not accept that, friends. 
Well, it, it is. It is. Have you? It's have the you... unfortunate truth, I think. <laughs> um, I deny the truth. And I you think can't that the, truth. The, pre- <laughs> the presence of The Nightmare Before Christmas in the cultural zeitgeist is one of the more benevolent aspects of that. So I'm totally fine with it. But moving right along. I like, I like Christmas uh, movies and television that kind of take it in unexpected places. It's kind of why I like uh, Batman as a Christmas movie and Die Hard as a Christmas movie. They're not just about, you know, being with your sweetheart and getting back in time to kiss under the mistletoe. Although They're movies that take place. Although kind of about that as well, actually. <laughs> well, they are about that, but but it's it's giant action movies that just happen to take place around Christmas time. Which makes it kind of awesome, I think. Yeah, I always have this fight with people, um, and this is a fight that clearly I won't have to have on this podcast, just like Rachel didn't have to have her Nightmare Before Christmas fight. Um, but I always say Die Hard is a Christmas movie, and everyone says, no, it just takes place at Christmas. But it's of about, course it's a Christmas It's movie. about a guy who's, you know, trying to get back with his family for the holidays and has to kill German Alan Rickman. Which, yeah. which just makes it an awesome Christmas movie. What, what is more Christmas than that? Killing Alan Rickman is a Christmas tradition in my household. Totally. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> um, no, my, mo- right, my mom right, and I right. always watch. We watch. We usually watch two or three Christmas movies on Christmas Eve, and uh, my mom and I always watch Die Hard on Christmas Eve morning before like the rest of the family shows up because Die Hard is awesome. That is all. Don't you always watch uh, Muppet Christmas Carol? So we watch Die Hard in the morning. Usually, just my mom and I. Sometimes my brother joins us, and then in the evening after we do the Christmas Eve dinner, we usually watch Christmas Vacation and then a Muppet Christmas Carol. Nice. But A Muppet Christmas Carol is Christmas Eve night, the yes, last thing. because okay. they sing, there's only one more sleep till Christmas, and then I can sing along because there's only one more sleep till Christmas, Sam. I don't know. I think I might go back and watch uh, the Doctor Who Christmas special, the first Matt Smith one, because that was kind of a Christmas Carol, but a twist on it. I think. Yeah, that, I think there was a, it was a fun twist, and Michael Gambon was there, and that was great. Mm-hmm. Um... Rachel hasn't gotten there yet. I don't. I think. haven't gotten there yet. I have. I've only gotten through the first two seasons, so I've seen. I do remember distinctly enjoying, however, the first David Tennant episode was the Christmas Invasion, and I apparently was sold on him as the Doctor before most people were, based solely on that episode. Yeah, you were a quick convert. I had to I wait was. a while. I, I, I like was so. vehemently pro Eccleston for like the, that first half of. Tenant season before I was like, all right, I see what this guy's doing. And you know what, Rachel, you're gonna not be on Matt Smith's side until oh, and then you will be. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't know. I was on Matt Smith's side pretty quick actually. But why don't we we can save this because I think when Rachel finishes watching, everyone on the podcast will be current on Doctor Who and we can have like a Doctor Who segment where we just geek out about that for a while. Yeah, geeking out. <laughs> we're gonna so bite we... the heads off chickens, right? Yeah, that's what I meant. Uh, to be clear, we're gonna have a segment where we bite the heads off chickens, and the only sound that the podcast will will hear is the sound of chickens screeching as they realize they're getting their heads <laughs> off. And I don't think that's gonna play as well on, as on audio as you think it will. Do. <laughs> I think it'll be much more terrifying. Just the sounds, <laughs> no visuals. I just picture all of our listeners just quietly sitting there, like listening and not like turning away from the podcast or anything, just waiting for the segments to end and then us to move on to the next thing. <laughs> well, this has gotten dark. Let's talk about some other aspects of the Like all good Christmas, Christmas movies, it it gets dark, Rachel. You should know. Yes, notice. indeed. And we know you we have a couple of um we're tossing on some ideas on some non-traditional sort of depressing Christmas/holiday um features that will be included in the 25 days of Christmas. Um this one is no biting the heads off of chickens, but also included on this list is the recent episode of Mad Men called The Christmas Waltz. Not a, not uplifting. Not um, an uplifting episode. Would, not an uplifting episode of television. Um, At one point, um, this is also going to uh, spoil another thing that will probably be on the list, although all of this is uh, not final at the moment. Um, but at one point, Christmas Waltz was going to be one day, and it was going to be followed the next day by Meet Me in St. Louis. And I decided I wanted to move Christmas Waltz because I was afraid that our readers would kill themselves if we did those two back-to-back. I haven't seen Meet Me in St. Louis. Is it particularly depressing? Um, that is the that is the movie where Judy Garland sings "Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas." Ah, uh, okay. Well, that's uh, sad. But is that really what's so depressing about the movie? I wouldn't say as a rule that the movie is like terribly depressing, but that part is really like heart wrenching. <laughs> well, that sounds kind of nice. 
<laughs> and Judy Garland is wonderful, and she sings, really, I think, the definitive version of that song. I'd agree. Chris has always been uh, partial to, I don't even know another version of the song to make this joke work, so never mind. <laughs> I'm sure Mariah Carey did bailed one on at some one. point or something. <laughs> I, just, I just bailed out. Like, I, just, I just ejected myself from the joke. It wasn't going to work. Oh, goodness. Okay. So we have that to look forward to. Excellent. Yay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Consider so it. Go ahead, Rachel. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be great, you guys. It's going to be great for us as a staff to really get to know each other on the holiday level. Because, you know, a bunch of us, we most of us, well, everybody here at least, we all went to college together. But, you know, you all, everybody goes home for the holidays. We don't see that aspect of our our fellow podcasters all the time. So I think it'll be fun to have people writing about the things that mean something to them during this holiday season. Um, but of course, in fact, you're all just terrible human beings who joke about eating your families. So it's bound to get really ugly. I didn't say I'd eat my family. What no, that was me. She's, she's confusing me. <laughs> oh, oh sorry. Me, Chris, to clarify. <laughs> I just watch a nonstop loop of uh, Jingle All the Way and Home Alone 2 day after day. He's also he also edits the two together in some very interesting ways. I think there's some pretty interesting subplots for him when you do that. You'd be surprised. <laughs> That's that, real. That bird lady feeds Sinbad for a while. <laughs> yes, terrifying. I'm I'm actually amazed that we got through the whole like we all go home for the holidays thing and Chris didn't make a Christmas party joke. Wow, Jordan, way to steal my thunder on that. It's coming. You <laughs> haven't made one though. <laughs> You're just too eager for him. <laughs> <laughs> well, you told me you would do it when I least expect it, Jordan. so now I'm always expecting it. Jordan, Jordan, what's going on with the staff Christmas party? There we go. Now we it's out nail, there. We need to nail down some details on this. What is going on with the staff Christmas party? People have been asking me. <laughs> who, who, who has been asking you? Everyone. Everyone. You're all terrified. Well, well, uh, there isn't one, Chris, because I don't want to be in a room with you so soon after you ate your family. <laughs> means I'm full. That's the exact time you want to be in a room with me. <laughs> well, in declaring that there's no Christmas party, Jordan, you've killed Christmas. I think we should move on to the next segment. Oh, there will be a Christmas party. I guarantee you that. I'm going to wake up one night and Chris is going to be standing above my bed, like, wrapped in holly. <laughs> and only holly. <laughs> I'm like, going to reverse jingle all the way, you Jordan. <laughs> that sounds terrifying. <laughs> Let's move on, Let's shall move we? Let's move on, yeah. This is... <laughs> Everybody is uncomfortable we're, right now. We're all a little bit punchy tonight, so... <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and toss things over to you, Chris, uh, for a little bit of who would win a fight, which is the perfect game to play when we're all insane. <laughs> Yay. All right. Uh, we were talking about community during the news roundup. Okay. So, long-time listeners to the podcast know how this works. We throw out two characters or two groups of characters from pop culture, and we ask who would win in a fight between these characters. Now, sometimes it's a very straightforward um, physical fight. Other times it's like a contest of some sort. Sometimes I will specify. Other times I'll let the, our players just kind of talk it out and examine things from every single angle. So let's start off with a community-themed matchup, sort of, well, half of it is. So let's go with Jeff Winger versus Saul Goodman. Are they lawyer fighting? Yes. They are lawyer fighting, whatever that means. <laughs> yeah, are they, are they, this, are they battling each other in a courtroom, or are they physically fighting each other? Before I get to that, Jordan, are they lawyer fighting? This law degree you're earning <laughs> is apparent. These classes, you're really getting your money's worth out of it. I'm taking lawyer fighting 103 right now. <laughs> they teach you which books are the heaviest to hurl at your opponents, uh, how to use a gavel in interesting ways. They are, they are representing uh, clients that are at odds in a civil case. Okay, well, I'm going to need more details now if you're going to make me be a lawyer No. What <laughs> okay. details you get? My game. Um, 
I'm gonna give it to Saul Goodman because Winger's gonna Winger's willing to do some uh, dirty tricks. Sure, Saul Goodman is willing to do literally anything. Yeah, I'd have to agree with Jordan because Saul is much dirtier and much more clever, I think, than um, I was gonna say Joel, but uh, than uh, Jeff because Joel is his real person name, yes, Sam. I know. I keep I keep thinking of of him from the soup. Um, I think that. I think that Bob Odenkirk, um, I think Saul, he's, he wouldn't even get to the courtroom. You know, that's his specialty. He's such a good lawyer. Yeah, he never goes to court. That he never has to go to court. I think Saul would outsmart him. The difference, see, if, if Saul was in Jeff's shoes, he would never have to go back to community college. Yeah, right? I think that's completely true. Yeah. So, Rachel? if it's a physical thing, though, Jeff would beat him to a bloody pulp. Yeah, Saul's not... Because not look at Joel McHale. He's a beast. He's a big guy. Football player. I'm not, I'm not ruling out that this couldn't turn into a physical fight if need be. Well, if it, if it was just, a physical I just, fight, I just started I think, the ball rolling. I think Jeff would it's up for you to beat him to a bloody pulp. Okay. Uh, I think Saul Goodman would uh, do the, the blues tradition of just curling up into a ball immediately. Um, he might be able to talk his way out of it and then stab him in the back. Yeah, he could also do that. I'm still sticking with Saul Goodman, but uh, if it's a physical fight... Jeff's odds are a lot higher. Rachel, anything to add? Well, I don't watch Breaking Bad. Um, oh God! Oh, so you have nothing to add. So <laughs> I have, I have literally nothing to add yet, yet again. But um, except that, I would say I do watch Community. But I think that as much as I love Jeff Winger, what I know of the Breaking Bad universe, I would not think that Jeff Winger could take on just about anybody in there. Because they all seem okay. scary. It is a pretty unanimous win for Saul Goodman. Congratulations, Saul. Okay, uh, do we want to move on now? Um, yeah, why don't we do one more quick one? One more? Okay. And then we'll move um, on. All right, how about Fred Flintstone versus George Jetson? This is so easy. That is so easy. It's going to be a quick one, guys. Rachel, wait a minute. Start. A quick one. Rich, is this a? Is this? I, we're, I'm assuming that this is a purely physical brawl. They also have use of whatever vehicles they usually have. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, that significantly changes things. Uh, I guess that if actually, I guess that if vehicles are involved, then. I'd have to give it to George Jetson because Fred would never get him. But if it's a purely physical brawl, I think that Fred Flintstone would beat him to a bloody, bloody pulp in about 35 seconds. I think even if it was just a one-on-one thing, I think George would be able to outsmart Fred simply because he's his education is literally light years ahead of Fred. Not Fred's. only that. He could go, oh, look, the sun is about to attack us. And Fred would be like, I don't understand how things work. I'm afraid. (laughs) And he would run away. I still use my feet to power my car. Yes. I would go, why don't you guys just run? Think about that. If you guys (laughs) ran, you would save so much more energy. (laughs) And if that's I mean, you are running. You're just also holding, like, the husk of a car for some reason. That's what I'm saying. It's exhausting. Keep in mind, also, like, not only does he have the intelligence of a caveman, he is severely brain damaged. Every episode involves some sort of severe head trauma. He That's has been true. concussed. But he wouldn't go down. That he a should fight. probably be dead. He he wouldn't go down in a fight though. If it was straight up boxing, I think he'd yeah. have to give it to Fred through brute force. But if we're talking about they're just on the street, I think George would be able to weasel his way out of it. And if if we're talking, if gadgets and their technologies are available. It's not even. Yeah, Fred Flintstone would be dust. Yeah, that's. It's gonna be another landslide for George Jetson. All right. Well. Take that hand. All right, George. Yeah. This has been. Uh, who would have been in a fight? Uh, why don't we toss things over to you, Sam? And we're gonna do the review name movie club. Um. So this, I guess, not this week, but I think we all watched it this week. The latest. I and, did not. Did you not watch it? <laughs> no, I was traveling all day. Oh, so oh, you all day. Yeah. In the month and a half since we announced that the conversation was going to be our next movie club thing, Chris didn't watch it because he was traveling today. 
Things got away from me. Things got in the way. Well, Chris, you can stand on the sidelines for this one. Uh, Our latest entry was The Conversation, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Maybe you've heard of him. Maybe you've heard of him. And I believe this film took place after um, The Godfather Part 1 and before Part 2, though they were both nominated for Best Picture in the same year. So I don't know how the hell he pulled that off. But think 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 about that accomplishment, having two of your movies be nominated for best picture in the same year that's that's pretty good i'd say <laughs> yeah he's uh he's not bad let's so also not for francis you Jack. lost you lost the best picture oscar feel bad no because you won the best picture oscar for the godfather part two you can do worse <laughs> um so i just want to know your guys thoughts i guess we we've all watched this fairly recently what is your first reaction to having seen the movie, and have you seen the movie before? Jordan, we'll start with you. Okay, well, I had not seen the movie before, um, so this was my first viewing of it, and I thought it was great. Um, this has always been sort of a, a rainy day movie that I've been like, I know it's going to be very good, um, so sometime when I want to sit down and watch a really good movie, I'll have that on my docket. Um, and Movie Club gave me the opportunity to finally sit down and watch it, and I thought it was fantastic. Um, yeah. It was, I, you know, being the film geek that I am, I knew going in about the, the sort of bravura opening sequence uh, at Union Square in San Francisco, um, and it did not disappoint. And from there, I, I didn't know a whole lot about the rest of the movie. I knew it was about, you know, Gene Hackman played a uh, surveillance expert, and I knew that he overheard a conversation. But I didn't really know much more beyond that, and I think that was a good way to go into the movie. Um, so I guess in terms of early thoughts, I liked it a lot. Uh, and if you haven't seen it, fans and listeners of the podcast, you should check it out. Rach? Well, I had seen it before um, many moons ago. A couple of years ago, I watched it with a friend who was watching it for a class, actually. Um, So that was an interesting context to watch it in. Um, My first thoughts, and I even said this to Jordan earlier today, the movie, it's it's really just really sad. It makes, it's very, it's very sad. Um, This movie was sad. (laughs) I'm on a roll tonight, you guys. Rachel gives it her lowest <laughs> rating ever. Eight thumbs up. <laughs> Shut up, Jordan. Um, yeah, and, you know, having... This is my second time watching it, and still, I'm not quite sure if I have really wrapped my head around it. Um, I feel... It's one of those movies where I kind of always feel like I'm missing something, um, which is an interesting situation to be in considering like the plot of the movie and the surveillance experts well, who are supposed the, to know everything but really don't um which is well the plot of the movie the way the structure of the movie was set up it was designed so that we deliberately didn't know anything and we were in the position with uh gene hackman's character who was trying to piece together what is important about this conversation and are these people in danger so i think that you were feeling what you were supposed to be feeling there we're supposed to kind of we're we're put in Gene Hackman's shoes and we don't know exactly what they're talking about and it's all kind of vague and the pieces come together. Um, is that is that the sense that you got? Yeah, definitely. This is kind of I I felt, you know, when I first started watching this movie, the first thing I thought of was The Lives of Others because that's another movie about someone who is using, you know, wiretaps to listen to people's conversations. But it actually uh appropriately this was in the vein of 1970s thriller um, kind of paranoia type movies. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a conspiracy thriller. Also, yeah, also conspiracy like. thriller, exactly. And I, that, was, that was kind of the genre, a big genre of that era. And I feel like this might be the best one that I've seen of those. Gene Hackman, <laughs> it's really one of those, it's a one-man show, basically. Because the other actor, the other actor, actors some surveillance buddies nobody gets the the time he gets it's mostly him with his thoughts him going over the tape him investigating these people so he you know he had to carry this movie on his shoulders and i think he did an excellent job and i was surprised that he wasn't nominated for best actor for this movie the nominations this movie picked up was best picture best sound and best writing uh it didn't win any but it was still a great movie and i feel like this was this was a reminder of how great an actor Gene Hackman is. 
Absolutely. Uh, he, he, I, I don't think he's really done a movie in a while. He might just, he might be, re, you know, retired or just slowing down, not wanting to do as many. But he was a great actor. Um, and this movie is, I think, it's more or less a one-man show. There are other people in it, but a lot of this is Gene Hackman wrestling with, you know, is he, what is he doing? Is he is what he is doing wrong? Things that he's done in the past have gotten people hurt. Is he going to let this happen again? Will these people get killed because of what he's done? It was a really great performance by him, and you know, it was necessary. This is really a one man show, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing that I wanted to talk about is, and I think we've touched on it a little bit already, but. For a conspiracy thriller, I think it's brilliant the way that this film is structured so that we're sort of experiencing it from his perspective the entire time. Because a lot of these movies give you, like, the shadowy figures and the big conspiracy going on, and you get, like, little bits and pieces of that. And I think a lot of them tend to fall apart because the idea, you know, the idea behind your average conspiracy movie is, like, these people are into everything, but over the course of the movie, they start to get gradually dumber and dumber as our, like, singular, singular hero takes them out, Right. Like, that's your, that's your standard conspiracy setup, and I feel like the conversation is completely excused that, uh, largely by leaving us just with Gene Hackman's thoughts, you know? It's never clear whether there is a conspiracy or whether it's just him, and obviously it eventually becomes clear, but... Right. Well, b- well before we go forward, we can say that we're going we're gonna to go into some major spoiler territory. Yes. Oh, yeah. We will be spoiling, so if you have not seen the movie and you don't want to be spoiled, now is as good a time as any to turn the podcast off, and we'll see you next week. Um... So, I mean, I guess we let's talk about the ending then. The ending of the movie is he's he receives a call basically warning him. He finds out the truth behind the two people, the truth behind the conversation that he's listening to. It's the the couple that ends up killing uh, Robert Duvall, who is, I guess, the husband of, what's her name, Cindy Williams? Yeah. Uh, and basically he receives a call at the end saying that he has to keep his mouth shut about this and it's revealed that he is being tapped as he's being surveilled as well. And the movie ends with him basically tearing up his entire apartment, which is kind of this tragic scene. Uh, it's a fantastic scene and it's, he's silent the whole time. I thought of the last continent, which spends mm-hmm. about a half hour people destroying their lives and just, well, he's destroying his apartment and tearing it up to try to find the surveillance. And he can't, which is, it's kind of heartbreaking because this is his specialty and he's, he can't figure this out. And then all he's left with is his thoughts and he plays a saxophone, which seems to be the only thing he takes joy in. He is, he doesn't really have any real friends. No, he's, I mean, he's made clear earlier in the movie, like none of his possessions in the apartment mattered him at all, you know? Well, except the saxophone, really. Right, he doesn't have anything personal except his keys that he thinks keep everyone out of his life and his saxophone. And that's really all he's left with at the end of the movie is the saxophone. <laughs> So I guess maybe it's not so tragic. At least he's got at least he's got his saxophone, which I think he should have checked for a bug. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was exactly what I was thinking. But then I was like, well, but then he would have literally nothing. I liked I liked when he he was like taking down his little figurines and he left the one of Mary up there because it's been established that he's a religious guy. And then he goes back and he's just Ugh, I gotta check it. He so he smashes it. the Mary statue. So I mean he. It is hard for him. It's not It's not without a heavy heart that he tears up his apartment looking for this. And then he's kind of defeated. He's supposed to be the best surveillance guy there is. And he's kind of beaten there. And the fact that no one will find out the truth because of this. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the ending of the movie is, was just, like, it was, it was stunning, I would say. You know, that last scene is... It's silence. It's just him tearing apart everything, and it's like I, I was edge of my seat. You know, it was. I thought it was a fantastic way to close out the movie, and it really brought a lot of the paranoia that had been bubbling under the surface the whole time to you know out in the open. Yeah, and I think I think we'd be remiss to not mention a young Harrison Ford portraying the right hand man of the director. Yeah, um, and I thought he was very good, and you know, I mean, basically he was a. A serviceable henchman. Yeah, basically he was just Harrison Ford being vaguely menacing, uh-huh. um, but that was fine. Uh, and it was—it's fun to see Harrison Ford pre Han Solo and pre Indiana Jones. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about—one of the reasons I picked this movie is because, well, a none of us had seen it, but one of the reasons I think I hadn't seen it is it—it—it it, it, 
it seems to be a less championed Coppola movie. And I don't know if that was given the time that it came out, but this is a great movie that I think could stand up with any of his stuff and should, you know, it should be in the conversation of, uh, Uh yeah, I know, I know. I wasn't going to do it, but you did. Uh, I was, (laughs) I'm not sure why it's Jordan to go there. I think it's, it's obviously, it, it was obviously critically acclaimed. It got nominated for these Oscars. Yeah, but it's I not, think... it's not, you know, when someone says Coppola, you think The Godfather and you think Apocalypse Now. Well, and I this don't being think sandwiched think between Godfather Apocalypse. 1 and 2 probably doesn't help. I guess, but don't you think the time frame now, that should be irrelevant, really? I think absolutely. Um, but I mean, if it got lost in the cultural conversation because of the fact that it was sandwiched between the two Godfather movies, uh, that might explain why it never gained the prominence that I think it deserves. Um, I guess, but if it's just one of those. Now, but now, cracks. now the timing of the release. I mean, that's that was in the context of '74, and I guess you could have talked about that in the few years following the release of the movie. Maybe it would have kind of gotten lost in the general, the public conscious, uh, the public consciousness about Coppola's movies, and maybe everyone was focusing on The Godfather. But now, I mean, now I don't think it should really matter. But, but I still think I it's kind of second tier. Yeah, now at least, at least in terms of how it's viewed now i don't think that it's the necessarily the release time frame that makes people push this to a second tier but i think it's the simple fact that when you have movies like the godfather movies and apocalypse now you're always going to be remembered for like a very select group of films i think and i think that with films like that it's it's hard to break into that top tier well it's like and it's also like i think this that... is a much more challenging movie than either of those is it's like saying, you know, The Magnificent Ambersons is great, but uh, Orson Welles is remembered for Citizen Kane, you know? Um, and I, I think, to be clear, that The Conversation is a much better movie than The Magnificent Ambersons. Um, and that it, I think it can stand up to The Godfather and Apocalypse Now. I don't know that I would, after one viewing, be willing to say that I prefer it by any stretch. I don't know, but, but I think it belongs up there. I think, I think, I it's, don't, I don't I think, think it should it's be in the conversation. I think it's out of place to say it's, it's that type of good movie. Yeah, no, I agree. But I think I think it's just kind of strange, and it's not like it w- it's an indie movie, and it's not like a cult classic. It's very widely well regarded, but it's uh, maybe maybe there's something about war movies, maybe there's something about mob movies, maybe there's something about you know this feels like a much much more contained movie than Apocalypse Now is kind of this epic adventure, you know, the heart of darkness and Vietnam and The Godfather, three parts this big sprawling epic story and the conversation in comparison seems like a much more intimate movie. Yeah. And it's, Maybe it's that got something. a very narrow focus. Um, and I think that's to its credit. You know, that's one of the things that I think is great about the movie is that it places us in Hackman's headspace and it sort of everyone else that's there. is just, you know, a threat to his privacy. And that's really how you see every other character pretty much. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think that's one of the best things about the movie, but I can definitely, I can definitely see how that might've, the film's reputation in terms of, like you said, comparing it to Coppola's epics. Yeah, well, any movie is going to have a tough time going up against the likes of The Godfather and uh, Apocalypse Now. But I guess it shouldn't even be looked at in that context of being up against these movies. I just think it's... I'm glad that we all saw it, and I'm glad I finally saw it, and I think it's our duty to always remind people about the conversation when talking about Francis Ford Coppola and how great a director he is, because this was really great. Yeah, from now on, whenever I'm talking about Coppola, which happens, you know, fairly regularly when I'm film geeking out, uh, the conversation will come up, and I will be making the argument. This is a movie that will probably be on my list of, like, movies that you have to make more people watch to try to spread the glory of. Um, Because, yeah, you don't hear it talked about enough. Um, And I think it it needs to be more widely seen and discussed. I agree. And I'm glad this is one of those movies, I mean, like you said also, this is a movie that's been kind of on my to-watch list for a very long time, and I'm I'm glad this kind of forced us to watch it. Yeah, that's one of my favorite parts about the Review Name Movie Club that we do here is kind of forcing us to sit down and watch movies that we should see that we, for whatever reason, haven't gotten to yet. You know, Tokyo Story was good. Bronson is something that I that hadn't even been on my radar, really, and I'm really glad that I was forced to sit down and watch that because, you know, I, lo- I love the director... 
uh, now that I've seen several of his movies, uh, even more, Tom Hardy was great in it, and it was just a great movie that I hadn't really paid attention to before. So, good on us so far. Um, hopefully, if you're playing along at home, you've been watching the movies and enjoying them as well. Uh, I guess, are we, are we at about a point to have Rachel announce what our next movie club movie will be? Yeah, I'm excited, because Rachel didn't really know what she was going to pick, and now she yeah, has no choice. I don't really know right now what I'm going to oh, pick. Oh, come actually. on. Rachel, it's We're been playing. like hours. I, searching through your queue right now. I actually am. I'm just going through because I'm trying to balance, you know. I have so a well, number of things on my list that, like, one person has seen that I've seen, and I'm trying to decide if I want to go, like, all the way and pick something that, like, definitely everybody has not seen or well, while you're bets. making your final decision, which you should do in like 30 seconds, so hurry up, I'll vamp for time and say that this has been like days of Rachel being like, I have lists. Pretty much whenever I ask Rachel to pick something for the podcast or for the site in general, she John Nashes out and there's like things written on the glass everywhere and there are, you know, multiple lists and alternative lists and it's a whole thing. So I just, I'm glad to see you've gone no less crazy this time. I cannot make decisions, and I think too much about things. This is a very pro- a problematic aspect of my entire life, really. But I think I've made a decision, um, and I bandied this one around a little earlier, but now I'm going to say that I'm picking this movie because the two main stars are potentially two of the most attractive people I have ever seen in my entire life. So I'm going to pick The Deep Blue Sea, starring Rachel Weisz and Tom Hiddleston. Excellent. That makes this my is life from, easy. This is from 2011. This is from 2011. So this is, this is a new one. It is. I wanted to modernize it up a little bit. Um, and bring I actually think it was released here this year uh, in America. And it's on watch instantly? It is, in fact, on watch instantly, as are the entire list that I had prepared, if anybody else is interested, but whatever. The wife well, of a British judge is caught in a self-destructive love affair with a Royal Air Force pilot. Oh, my. Indeed. So, um, Sam, you haven't seen it? I have not sounds seen adult. it. Chris, so it sounds like there might be it? some adult Would situations. There? It looks, in fact, like there might be some adult situations. I hope that you kids can handle that. There are some adult situations. I've seen the movie, so I can tell you. Is it good, Jordan? It's very good. Um, All right. Yeah, I think, I think we'll have plenty to discuss, and I'll probably try to rewatch it before. Um, but, yes, it's quite good. Awesome. And, and Hiddleston, Hiddleston's all over the place, which is, I think, what Rachel's looking for. <laughs> Uh, I love Hiddleston. You love the bad guy. You like Loki. I do. I do. <laughs> Did you know that the the Hiddleston fan name on the interwebs they're they're called Hiddlestoners? That is so stupid. That is really <laughs> dumb. Yeah, you just Rachel. Pretty much, we can't have a podcast anymore because now you've like you said something so colossally stupid on a podcast that no one's going to listen to it anymore. I was simply saying that that's what they call themselves on the internet. That is not what I call myself on the internet. Thank you, but that's what they call themselves on the, on the internet. Rachel calls herself cat. <laughs> I hate you, Jordan. <laughs> Jordan, what is going on with this Christmas party? You know, I've been, I, I know I've been beating her in the bush with making plans, Chris, but I'll, I'll get back to you on the Remanine staff Christmas party. That's totally going to happen. Listeners, uh, we, need your help. we need your help. Well, before... We need you to send emails to Jordan asking him what's going on with the staff Christmas party. Yeah, uh, the review named at gmail.com mailbox was be full up with listeners sending like, hey, uh, what's going on with the Christmas party? Like... When Please. Should I show up? Can I the bring only the way this is going to get done is with your help. I also like the idea that the listeners don't really know what Christmas traditions are, so they're like offering to bring things that are not Christmassy at all. <laughs> That's a gag you guys should do, listeners. So if you want to, if you want to spam the Rebename Gmail account with Christmas party requests, throw those in there as well. Um, before we move on to the Rachel Charge Memorial Award for Best Performance in the Week, which we always like to close out the show with, I just want to announce uh, what what that there are going to be some changes to the podcast for the remainder of the year. Um, we are moving into list season over on the site, which means that we're going to be talking about our favorite things from 2012 for most of the rest of the year. And as a result of that, we're going to do some best of 2012 podcasts. So what we're going to do is each of the next four weeks will be devoted exclusively to one of our sections and talking about the great things, the bad things, and all sorts of other things that happened in 2012 in each section. Um, the podcast will be released on Fridays as opposed to the standard Tuesdays. So the podcast can come out at the end of the week. So those of you who are following the site, you can read all of our lists throughout the week and then listen to our podcast where we sort of wrap up and talk about our favorite things of 2012. So you won't hear from us next Tuesday, but you will hear from us that Friday uh, with our Best of 2012 television podcast. And hopefully you guys will 
listen in and uh, let us know what you guys think about the best and worst of 2012 as we go through the list season. Uh, so with that, why don't we wrap things up with the Rachel Targ Memorial Award for Best Performance in the Week. As usual, we've been tabulating furiously throughout the show. Uh, there's been some real neck and neckers this week. Um, Ew. There were a lot of there were a lot of votes for Chris's family, which is strange, um, <laughs> considering what befell them apparently. But the winner of the week is uh, Sufjan Stevens. Oh my god! So I'm, Sam's I'm, vote, I'm calling voter fraud. Sam's vote was nullified, by the way. <laughs> I'm calling voter fraud on this one. I want to recount. Maybe well, next year. Well, so does my family. <laughs> how, how, how do you know, Chris? They, are they still there with you? They're speaking to me. <laughs> From your stomach? Yes. Right, well, <laughs> things have gotten weird again. <laughs> Sophie and Stevens, if you want to come to the Ruby Named Offices and collect your small cash prize and your trophy, feel free. Uh, we'd like to hang out with you. Sam will not care about your Christmas album. Um, Chris will ask you about the Dakotas. And I'll just salute you or something. Um, I'm really concerned about these Dakotas. Is it going to be a double album? You know, is it North Dakota, South Dakota? One album? I need to know. They're two when different is, states. That would be chicken. When is the fanning coming out? Yeah. Is, I'd like if the Dakota fanning concept album just had a track for every movie she'd been in. I would not. Like, the concept is that Sufjan Stevens just pretends that, uh, that he was score- asked to write original songs for each of her movies, and this is what he came up with. So I can we can just keep going for you know hours being weirdos, or we can wrap things up now. Um, so why don't we do that instead? Come back next week for the first best of 2012 podcast. We'll be talking about our favorite TV shows of 2012. So um, if you want to check out our lists on television, they will be starting next Monday, uh, December 3rd, and going throughout that week. And you should check them out readmenamed.com, obviously. You can follow us on Twitter at Named, and you can email us with thoughts on the Christmas party, thoughts on 2012 in general, or thoughts on anything, really, at readmenamed at gmail.com. So um, hopefully you guys will tune in uh, for the rest of the year as we talk about the best of 2012. For now, have a good week, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.